I'd like to take a moment and have a real heart-to-heart with you. If you're able right now, place your hand over your heart. Can you feel it? That's your heartbeat telling you that you're alive. It's the same for a preborn baby. Their heart begins to form at conception, and at just three weeks, it's already beating. At five weeks, a baby's heartbeat can be heard on ultrasound. And that's why we've partnered with Preborn, because we need to help these precious babies. Every day, Preborn's networks of clinics rescue 200 babies from abortion. When a mother with an unplanned pregnancy meets her baby on ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine encounter. That doubles a baby's chances at life. And by six weeks, the eyes are forming. By 10 weeks, a baby is able to suck his or her own thumb. And for just $28, you could be the difference between life or death of a child. All gifts are tax deductible, and I want you to donate. All you have to do is just dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250, keyword baby. You can also donate securely at preborn.com slash verdict. That's preborn.com slash verdict or pound 250 and say the keyword baby. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? Well, it's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help you. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million dollars. So to save, visit HealthLock.com today. That's HealthLock.com today. Are you being influenced? If you've watched a blockbuster film in the last decade, there's a chance it's been influenced by the Chinese Communist Party. Here's the reality. The CCP may be running the largest influence campaign in history. In Hollywood Takeover, brought to you by the Epic Times, investigative reporter Tiffany Meyer reveals how the CCP exerts control over some major studios. Don't miss the most important documentary about Hollywood yet. And for a limited time, you can watch the first 10 minutes for free at HollywoodTakeover.com slash Ben. HollywoodTakeover.com slash Ben. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. 2020 has started off with a bang. We have had riots, we have had plagues. Worst of all, we have had murder hornets. And don't forget, this is an election year, so the year is only going to get crazier. Lots of seats in play, including the U.S. Senate. The U.S. Senate is far from safe. Luckily, we've got a guy here who knows a thing or two about winning a Senate race. We'll go behind the scenes. This is Verdict with Ted Cruz. Welcome back to Verdict with Ted Cruz. I'm Michael Knowles. And Senator, you know, I forgot because... 
when I come to town, I'm here doing this show. When I'm not doing this show, I'm swilling martinis. I'm smoking cigars. I'm generally loafing around. Well, you are a California man. I'm a California man. You don't want to work too hard. You actually have been working. You are in session right now. You've just come from the Capitol. You had a vote today. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Well, sure. We just just voted a few minutes ago to confirm uh, the new chief of staff of the Air Force, Hmm. uh, General C.Q. Brown, uh, who is the first African-American service chief in U.S. history. Uh, so Colin Powell was chairman of the Joint Chiefs, right. but he wasn't head of one of the service branches. And interestingly enough, a little bit astonishing, there's never been an Af- African-American service chief. And uh, so, so we confirmed him this afternoon. And, and actually, Mike Pence, the VP, presided, which, which is fairly unusual. Normally, uh, it's a senator from the majority party who is presiding. Right. And, and the vice president comes to break a tie. Right. And, and so I looked up, cast my vote, and, and there was Pence sitting in the chair. And so actually Mike Lee and I, we both walked up and, and, and said, you know, hey, Mike, what are you doing here? Yeah. And, is this, this going to be a close vote? Yeah. I said, look, is this going to be 50-50? Yeah. I mean, what, are we missing something? You're right. You're right. And, and, and he laughed and said, no, that, that, that he, it just was history hmm. uh, to have the first African-American service chief. And, and you know, today being uh, the day of George Floyd's funeral in Houston, yep. Uh, I, I think it is particularly momentous to be making that confirmation. And Pence pointed out, I said, look, Trump had nominated General Brown back in, in, in uh, March. Right. So it's not like he nominated him because race happens to no, be dominating no, the he, he, he was the choice on the merits to yeah. be the chief of staff of the Air Force. And, uh, but, you know, Pence laughed and said, you know, in our house, we call that God's timing. Right. Uh, there, there's a little providential aspect to this. Uh, in, 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 indeed. So you mentioned... 50-50 in the Senate. Yeah. This brings up some worries for November because Republicans control the Senate now. That is not guaranteed to be the case after the 2020 elections. Things are looking tight in a lot of different states. You know a thing or two about winning a Senate race. What is it looking like right now? So look, it, it is very much hanging in the balance. Uh, we've got right now, the, the majority is 53-47, so they're 53 Republicans. But 2020 is a difficult map. So if you think about it, the Senate, you got 100 senators. They're each broken into thirds, and a third are elected every two years. You got six-year terms. Right. That means every Senate election is the echo of the election six years earlier. Hmm. And so okay. if you have a, a really good Republican election, yeah. six years later, uh, it can be a much tougher election if it ends up not being a great Republican year. Right. Likewise, if you have a great Democratic year, six years later... Republicans can pick up seats. Right. 2020 uh, is the six-year echo of 2014. 2014 was a phenomenal year. 2014 is the year we took the majority in the Senate and retired Harry Reid as majority leader. As a result, we got a bunch of Republicans in, in very purple states that, yeah. that are tough states. Uh, and so, and, and right now, the poll numbers in a lot of these races are, are right on the bubble. Yeah. Uh, I think we could easily lose control of the Senate in this election. Because everybody's focused on the presidential. I get it. That's where all the attention gets paid. Don't forget, there's a lot more to our government than just the president. It seems very important to hold the Senate, you know, to maybe retake Congress if that were possible, to keep these local races as well. And and, and if you break it down state by state, so you take a state like Colorado. Yeah. Colorado is a, a tough state. It's a purple state. Trump lost Colorado four years ago. Cory Gardner is a freshman senator up for re-election in Colorado. That's going to be a tough race. Yep. Uh, Arizona, 
Arizona has historically been a pretty red state. It's gotten a lot more purple. Uh, Martha McSally is the incumbent, but she ran in 2018 for Senate and lost in Arizona. So the last election, Martha lost. She, she got appointed to the seat and she's running again. Uh, Arizona is going to be a tough, tough race. And the polling there, the, the polling there doesn't look great. Yeah. Um, you got a state like Maine. Mm-hmm. Uh, Susan Collins is running. Now, longtime senator, much more moderate than, than you and I are. Yeah. But listen, Maine is a, a pretty blue state. Yep. And particularly with Trump on the ballot, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know how Maine's going to go, but, but Susan will have a fight. There are a whole lot of liberals nationally putting a bunch of money against her. Uh, North Carolina, yep. Tom Tillis. Mm-hmm. North Carolina is another battleground state. It's another purple state. Um, that that will be a hard-fought race. We could easily lose that race. Mm-hmm. Georgia. <laughs> Georgia, we've got not just one, two Senate seats up on, on, on the ballot in Georgia. So we've got Yikes. David Perdue and Kelly Loeffler. And Kelly Loeffler is in the middle of a tough primary race. So it's what's called a jungle primary, hmm. where in all likelihood on election day, someone won't win out, right? The top two people will go on to a runoff in December. We could end up with control of the Senate being decided by the Georgia runoff in December. Yikes. And you know, one of the patterns, if you look at states like North Carolina, like Georgia, like Arizona, one of the patterns in the age of Trump is is the suburbs. Yeah. We've talked before about the two broad demographic trends going on in this country. Working class voters are moving right. That's moving Midwestern states, more Republican. At the same time, suburban voters are moving left. That, That is moving... States with big suburban populations, states like Texas, states like Arizona, states like Georgia, much more purple uh, because in particular suburban women, that has been a tough demographic for Trump. And so 2020, the, the, the Senate is very much in play. Right. Especially when you, when you consider those two demographics, it's very hard to pin down, okay, this will be the effect on this state. This will be the effect on another state. Now you- and, and there aren't a whole lot of Senate seats that are being contested in states where there's a big working class population. It's not like, so we picked up Indiana, for example, last time around. Indiana is a great example. Well, we don't have an Indiana seat on the ballot this time. And so the states that are up are states where it's it's particularly challenging. It becomes tricky. And now you've run two Senate races. Mm -hmm. First time, challenger, you kind of come out of nowhere. Obviously you'd had a long career, but in terms of national political office, all of a sudden, you're the new guy in town. Six years later, you run a race where the mainstream media, the national political media, they were gunning for you. Yep. They got behind yep. this other candidate, Beto O'Rourke, who's, it actually took me a moment to remember his name, but that was, he was all anyone was talking about for quite some time. Those two races, how were they different? What lessons do you think you could take from those races for the senators who are maybe up in tough fights this year? Well, very different races, very different strategies. Uh, let's start with, with 2012. Uh, 2012, I, I had no name ID. Yeah. No one knew I was, and I'd never been elected to anything. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it, it's a little bizarre, but the first office I was ever elected to <laughs> was the United States. That's right. That's pretty good. That's not too um, bad. I, you know, I've joked the last thing I was elected to before that was student council. Yeah. Uh, and and that, that is literally true. Um, so when I ran in 2012, actually, actually, let's let's want, so the very first poll we did, um, I had two percent name ID. 
those are real numbers. And, 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 uh, the margin of error on that poll was 3%. <laughs> so you may, may, it could have been negative one. So I appreciate that sunny optimism. <laughs> and, and, and you and Heidi are on the same page. I actually came home. I was amazed yeah. to be at 2%. I was really psyched. Right. I'm like, look, I'm not at zero. Yeah. And, and Heidi's response was the same as yours. Well, couldn't you be at negative yeah, one? Yeah, we're not like, positive here. Right? All right, thanks, my love. But, <laughs> but, but that's where we started. Yeah. And that was a race. It was a grassroots race. Yeah. Um, we had a strategy. Um, of systematically earning the support of conservative leaders, raising money, and and being using guerrilla tactics to drive messaging. So, so my opponent in the Senate race was the Lieutenant Governor of Texas, uh, a guy named David Dewhurst. He had a lot of money, as I recall. Uh, he's yeah. personally worth over two hundred million dollars. <laughs> so he's massively wealthy. He'd been yeah. elected statewide repeatedly. Yeah. In Texas, the lieutenant governor is the most powerful state official because the lieutenant governor runs the state Senate and and has almost total power, can assign any bill to any committee, can assign any senator to any committee, can basically decide what bills die and what bills live. Right. That meant that every lobbyist in the state was against us. Yep. Every special interest in the state was against us. Every big company in the state was against us. We didn't even really try with them. I mean, to be honest, if you had business in front of the state legislature, yeah. you had to be with him. Um, and he also had universal name ID. He'd run statewide and won over and over and over again. He'd poured millions of his own, own dollars into the races in the past. And in the Senate race, he ended up putting about $35 million of his own money into the race. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had to find other ways to succeed. Uh, we started, for example, going to all sorts of candidate forums all over the state. Yeah. Um, and you'd have a local tea party, you'd have Republican women, you'd have a county party that they'd do a candidate forum. And there were, I think, nine candidates who ran in that race. Dewhurst was the 800-pound gorilla. Right. And then the rest of us. So he wouldn't show up at the debates. So I'd go to them against candidates who who were not running serious campaigns, not raising money, but we'd go and have, I think we did something like 40 or 44 debates. It was something like, wow. I mean, it was some crazy number. Dewhurst wouldn't show up at any of them. Yeah. So we began doing things. Uh, we launched a website, duckandduhurst.com. Um, I got a campaign staffer to dress as a duck <laughs> and show up at Dewhurst event. And he's a you know, full-size duck. <laughs> And, and he'd show up, and, and, and I actually told him, I said, Josh, if you can get him to take a swing at you, yeah. I'll give you 20 bucks. <laughs> j- j- just once. I just want yeah. the headline, Lieutenant Governor Punches a Duck. Punches, punches a man dressed as duck. But, yeah. but what, what would happen is he'd go do an event designed to get some great press. And the opening line of the news story would be, today a man dressed as a duck went to the Lieutenant Governor's <laughs> event. And we'd steal the story from him. Right. Um, we had one candidate form where a grassroots activist did this, actually made a milk carton with his picture on the side. Have you seen this? Yeah. <laughs> Missing. Yeah. Um, we put out a, a humorous cartoon uh, that, that, that's very campy. And, 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 and it had a, a, a broadcaster that sounded like an old-timey horror movie and said, you know, Bigfoot, yeah. uh, the Loch Ness Monster. The chupacabra, a strange coyote-like creature that some claim to have seen in South Texas. There's mysteries. 
And then there's our <laughs> lieutenant governor. Yeah. And we have an image of the lieutenant governor. Yeah. Somehow he can't seem to be found yeah. anywhere. We have him dancing around and we list all the places he, he skipped. Right. It was campy. It was corny. I think it cost us like $2,000 to make this cartoon. And we got all this free media. Mm -hmm. People shared it on social media. They laughed. And so when you're running a guerrilla campaign, yeah. you got to find ways to, to, to take asymmetric advantage, to, to use. And, and our greatest strength is that Dewhurst totally took it for granted. Mm -hmm. He thought there was no way on earth this punk kid, yeah. uh, which is how he viewed me, this you know, young, young, never been elected to anything, no, no. And we, you know, my attitude was like, you know, David, you're exactly right. Please, please sit on your couch. Yes, good, Put relax, no, relax. No, no, nothing to worry here. Mm -hmm. And we systematically got the support of conservative leaders across the state. We got conservative leaders nationally. Yeah. Uh, we raised a ton of money, and, and that was shoe leather. And it's interesting, self-funding candidates often lose. And part of the reason is, if, if you write a check, writing a check is, is relatively easy. If you write a check for a million dollars, I would rather have a million dollars raised from real voters. Yep. Yes. Then five million or 10 million just from your own bottomless bank account. You know, this is something I've noticed in successful mm -hmm. campaigns, whether they're challenger campaigns or whether they are incumbent campaigns. I, I remember this was in 2011, I think, Mitch Daniels, then governor of Indiana. There was talk he might run for president. Mitch Daniels was facing this tough legislative fight there. And the, the Democrats in the House, they're the, you know, the House of Indiana, they just left town. They skipped town because they didn't want to vote on something. And, and as I recall, Mitch rewrote, he made a parody of a 1940s song joking about how the, the guys had skipped town, put it on the radio in a campaign. It was fun. It was campy, just like you're describing. I was uh, the first campaign I ever worked on. This was in 2010. It was for my friend Nan Hayworth. She was running a challenger race against this guy who, his name is John Hall. He was a rock star in the 70s. He was in the band Orleans. They did the song, Still the One, to, you know, those kind of like <laughs> silly songs you see on commercials. And so we decided, this is again a challenger campaign, very low name ID. We decided to start a side group called the Young Voters for an Orleans Reunion Tour to get the guy out of Congress, get him back on the road again so he wasn't passing bad laws. Same thing. They said, this is so stupid. They're ignoring it. They Well, guess what? Those kind of campy grassroots tactics that got a lot of people involved. It was fun. It was offbeat. They really helped. They raised a little bit of money, got some good press. And, and I've noticed this even with re-election campaigns. So it's, it's not as though you were only doing this sort of thing in your first right, race. Right. The second time around, the presidential race yeah, and the right. second Senate race, you were still doing the same kinds of tactics. You, you, didn't, get, you didn't get complacent about it. Well, there are a couple of things really important that you said that are good lessons for, for any campaign. Um, one is, is have fun. Yeah. Um, you know, too many candidates take it too damn seriously. Right. And, and particularly with negatives. Yeah. Um, they're like so ominous. And there's a voice we all know, a political attack ad. <laughs> and I don't know, it's this dude that apparently has a voice like so deep that comes on. Did you know that Michael Knowles eats kittens for breakfast? I, know, I don't tell him. Like, 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 I mean, it's, it's and, and the voters are smart enough to go, 
Right. Like, like they right. just don't believe it. You just hear it. You just like, tune like it, it out. It right. just it, much more effective, especially with, with with negatives, is having a light touch, having mm. a, a a tweak. Go go going back to that first Senate race. Um, the Houston Symphony invited Dewhurst on I think the Fourth of July to be a guest conductor. And I have to admit, I sent an email to my team. I'm kind of a little annoyed. I'm like, okay, why is the symphony favoring him? I don't, I don't it's get outrageous. it. outrageous. And, and, and my, the guy running my campaign, kind of Jason Johnson, is a great, great guy, dear friend. Yeah. He sees that and he sends a, an email. Must dot, 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 get dot, 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 video. <laughs> and so Jason went to the concert. It was an outdoor symphony concert. And you have Dewhurst in white tie tuxedo conducting with a symphony behind us and Jason sitting oh. there with his phone recording it. And we put out this ad. I don't even remember. It was something about flip-flopping or something. But the whole image is <laughs> him in white tie conducting. Right. And it was priceless. Yeah. But it wasn't so over the top as to be unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one piece of it. Yeah. A second piece and that you said also that's really important is getting others to invest in the campaign. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the exactly. better political books I read was um, Chris Matthews wrote a book called Hardball. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he talked about lessons and he talked about a lesson he learned from Jimmy Carter, which is he said, you know, in politics, if, if you want to have a chit, most people think, okay, if, if, if I want Michael to be on, on board, I'll do you a favor. Yeah. And if I do you a favor... Well, then I owe you. You owe me. Yep. And, and what Jimmy Carter apparently told Chris Matthews, he said, look, that actually doesn't work very well. He said, human nature is weird. If, if Michael owes me, half the time you grow to resent it and get ticked off that you yep. owe me. Yep. He said, if you really want to get Michael on your team, you know what you do? You get him to do you a favor. This is a profound insight. It, it, and it doesn't matter what it is. Anything. Because yeah. if you do something for me, you're invested in me. Yep. And it becomes then, it becomes what you're doing. And ironically, you want to do more favors once you're yeah. invested. I think the example, if I remember right, that Carter used was having someone pick him up at the airport, having a volunteer drive to the airport and pick him up. That, mm-hmm. that just, hey, you know, I went and got that guy. Yep. That person's more likely to do more. I'm involved. You know, this is, it's the same thing with campaign swag. Having, you know, having worked on a number of campaigns, people think that campaigns make a lot of money on the swag. They don't make a lot of money on the swag. I, you know, it's a little pricey or something, but trust me, you're not making your campaign money by selling t-shirts and buttons. But Part of the reason you sell the t-shirts and buttons is so that people feel a connection to the campaign. I buy a lot of campaign swag for campaigns that I support, politicians I support, and it, it bonds me to them in that I say, okay, I've got the big foam finger, you know, I've got the t-shirt or whatever. I'm on the team now. It's a way of creating that relationship with the constituents that you hope to represent. Well, it, you're absolutely right. And if you get someone to do a little, they're much more likely to do a lot. You know, going back to that 2012 campaign, I remember the, the Texas State Convention. So we made it to a, pri- a runoff, which was our whole challenge, was hold Dewhurst to 49.9%. Right. And if we got to a runoff, I believe we'd win. That's what ended up happening. Yeah. Um, the Texas State Republican Convention happened between the primary and the runoff. So it was the, it's the biggest gathering of grassroots Republicans, actually in the whole country. And, yeah. and it was all there. And, and so in terms of swag, now we didn't have any money. 
Yeah. So the Dewhurst campaign had these fancy buttons. They're like two, three bucks a piece to print. You know, they're nice buttons that you pin. We didn't have the money to pay for a bunch of two, three dollar buttons. Right. So what we did is we printed really cheap stickers yeah. that were the exact same size. And then we told people, go get a Dewhurst button <laughs> and put our sticker on top of it. No. And like everyone had the Dewhurst button, took all their money to do it, and then put our stickers on top of it. And it was one of the great that is a fiscal conservative right there. That is a fiscally conservative <laughs> campaign. So, I, you know, we, we've got to get into the mailbag. But just for, for your colleagues and maybe other people who are running in 2020, uh, one thing I'm getting from you here is we are in, we are in probably the most negative news cycle yeah. of my lifetime. Yeah. I mean, we, yeah. this is a really tough news cycle. And I think there are a lot of campaigns who just really want to play into that negativity and really just... But maybe what we, I'm hearing is that might not be the most successful way to, uh, to have inspire fun. People, people yeah. can tell a joyful campaign. People can tell a campaign yeah. that are mis- miserable. Yeah. But empower the people. Yeah. Um, best political advice I ever got in my life was, was from Heidi. It was years ago. It was right when I started to run. I was getting ready to give a speech. And Heidi told me, said, remember, it's not about you. It's not about you. It's about them. Yeah. It's about their families, their kids, their future. And I still to this day try to remind myself of that in front of every speech. That means, all right, so quick anecdote I'll tell. I'm back from the 2012 campaign. So we're down in South Texas and we're doing an event in a a church. It's a Saturday night. We're in the fellowship hall. About 300 people gathered there. And, And the county Republican chairman comes in. He says, you know, most Republican candidates, when they come down to the valley in Texas, they do a, they do a fundraiser. Mm -hmm. And he said, they go to the local country club, they charge a thousand bucks a plate. And he said, this is not a fundraiser. Yeah. He said, Ted is here because he wants to listen to you. He wants to hear what you have to say uh, and be part of a conversation. So I got up and I, and I said, I said, listen, thank you everyone for being here. Thank you. It's a Saturday night. You could be home with your kids. Thank you for coming out to this instead. And I said, thank you, Javier, to the local Republican chairman for, for being here as well. So there's one thing Javier said that was wrong. He said, this is not a fundraiser. <laughs> Everything we do is a fundraiser. I said, listen, if you can max out, if you can write a $5,400 check for you and your spouse, God love you. We need it desperately. (laughs) But you know what? Everyone here can give something. Yeah. If if you're in college, if you're in high school, you can get 25 bucks. Yep. 25 bucks is two pizzas. You're telling me you can't afford two pizzas? And here's the thing. Here's why. If you give $10, 25, 50, whatever, if you give, you're invested. You you're know what? In. If you give 25 bucks, you're going to vote. That's right. But not only that, you're going to talk to your friends. Mm-hmm. You're going to talk to someone else because Great suddenly advice. your yeah. skin is in the game. And so we treated every event, grassroots events, as I, I told them there, I said, you know what? I can't win this race. Yeah. Flat out, it is impossible yeah. for me to win this race. We yeah. can win this race. But I certainly can't. If it's just me, it ain't going to happen. And, and most campaigns, look, campaign consultants, they don't get paid for grassroots. They don't know how to yeah. do it. And the concept of empowering, creating ownership, uh, you know, it you mentioned the presidential in 2016. We had 326,000 volunteers in that presidential campaign. Uh, we raised over $90 million dollars. That is the most money any Republican has ever raised in the history of presidential primaries, more than George W. Bush or John McCain or Mitt Romney. And that came from 1.8 million contributions. Grassroots, right. You know, well, so mentioning the political consultants here, just quickly before mailbag, I have to ask you, you gave the best political advice you ever got. 
What's the worst political advice you ever got? I, I think know. I think I have an answer to this okay. question, but go, I'd be go, curious. Go, and go ahead. What's your I, I, so the, the the worst political advice I ever got on any campaigns, and I've heard it on a lot of campaigns, is listen to what the Washington consultants tell you to do. Uh, that's a kiss of death. It's the kiss of you've it, got you start it, out it, with the great local campaign, and it's working, and the minute it starts working really really well. All of a sudden, some guy from Washington decides to come on in, tell you how to redo everything. Nine times out of ten, they will lose the campaign you were winning. So, so let me give an example. I don't know about worst advice, but I had conflicting advice. It was one of the hardest moments. Okay. So 2012 campaign against Dewhurst. We run a grassroots campaign for, for months. Yeah. Start building support. Dewar's campaign does what any dominant frontrunner does, which is ignore us. Doesn't yeah, mention right. my name. We don't exist. Yep. And our numbers were steadily going up. We're steadily going up. Remember, we just had to get to a runoff. So we just had to keep yeah. him below 50. And he was well below 50. So their consultants, we know, were telling him, all right, ignore him, ignore him. Okay, this is not working. We're, mm-hmm. not, we're not breaking 50 by ignoring him. All right, let's unload. And so they, they launch over a million bucks a week Ugh. of negative attacks. Oh, I mean, just carpet bombing us. And and by the way, their attack was that I was a red Chinese communist. Well, I always knew that about I, you. I thought it, that was a given. Well, I mean, down to, and it was based on when I was a lawyer in private practice, there was a civil lawsuit between two tire companies, yeah. uh, both of which were manufacturing China, uh, tires in China, but one of which was owned by a Chinese company. Mm-hmm. Because my firm had been on that side of the litigation they argued that, that, that Cruz, I mean, they like put out mailers with me next to the Chinese flag. They handed out money, Chinese money with my face on it, discolored to make it look Chinese. I mean, it was. Campaigns are so stupid. I, and so, great. all right, million bucks a week of just saturation ads. And I'm yeah. watching them. And, and at the time, Dick Morris, the campaign consultant, who's a friend. Um, he was someone who, who would, was giving me advice, not charging me. He wasn't on the campaign payroll. We didn't have any money. Yeah. But, but I asked Dick, what do you think of this ad? And he watched it. He said, it's fatal. This is, this is, this, if you don't respond, really? you're dead. Because it's so ridiculous. It, but it, it, it's, it's, he said, this is crushing. You must get a response. Huh. And I mentioned Jason, who was running my campaign. I talked to Jason, and Jason begged me, do not respond. Please. And we had at the time a couple million dollars in the bank. So yeah. we could have gone up on, on, on air, but that was all we had. Yeah. And it was like, look, if you go up and respond, then the whole campaign is going to turn on whether or not you are a red Chinese communist. Yeah. Yep. And instead, what Jason convinced me to do, he said, I'll tell you what, let's do a tracking poll. Let's monitor what happens. And if our numbers are just cratering, if we're getting crushed, then let's respond. Yeah, yeah. But let's see what happens first. And so I agreed to do that. So we went through several weeks of it was a million bucks a week, and then it became two million bucks a week of attack. And we had zero response. And it's like a boxer in the ring putting his hands up and just saying, punch my ribs. You're literally just standing there getting hammered. And we had no money to respond. We put out on grassroots. We put on social media right. the, these response. This, no this attack is, is crap, and here are the facts. Yeah. But we put no money behind it. Yeah. And the tracking poll showed our numbers were going down. They were going down. My, my unfavorables were going up about a point a day. Okay. So we could see every day my unf- unfaves would go up a point, up a point, up a point. But what we also saw is Dewhurst's unfaves were going up about two points a day. 
And so because the ads were so nasty, yeah. yes, they were hurting me, but they were hurting, they were hurting him, him more. even more. Yep. And so we ended up, we never did respond to that ad with, with paid advertising. Instead, when we went up on air, it was our positive message, my record, my vision. Yep. Do you want a proven conservative fighter or do you want a moderate establishment deal maker? And that choice is what won us the race. But those couple of weeks... It's, it's tough to be in the moment. In, in Just getting it. pounded. I still yeah. remember Jason said after that, he said, I remember this first race I'd done, but Jason said, well, we know you don't have a glass jaw. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's, and that is good, that is good advice. Uh, very quickly, there's one mailbag question that keeps coming up. It has been coming up since we started the show, and I've just got to ask it. This is from Ryan. Boxers or briefs? Those are the only two choices. On that note, moving right along, we will have to get to more of the mailbag questions tomorrow. I'm Michael Knowles. This is Verdict with Ted Cruz. This episode of Verdict with Ted Cruz is being brought to you by Jobs, Freedom, and Security PAC, a political action committee dedicated to supporting conservative causes, organizations, and candidates across the country. In 2022, Jobs, Freedom, and Security PAC plans to donate to conservative candidates running for Congress and help the Republican Party across the nation. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hollywood is under siege from an external force. The same Hollywood that sold the American dream is now making nightmares a reality. Many major films make choices to appease the Chinese Communist Party to be distributed in China. Join Tiffany Meyer, an investigative reporter in Hollywood Takeover, brought to you by the Epic Times, where she reveals how the CCP exerts control over some major studios. Don't miss the most important documentary about Hollywood yet. For a limited time, watch the first 10 minutes for free at HollywoodTakeover.com slash Ben. HollywoodTakeover.com slash Ben. Ben Ferguson here, and if you're an accredited investor, U.S. oil and gas should be a part of your investment portfolio. And I want you to visit LabradorEnergy.com. Beyond the possibility to invest in a sector that historically delivers sound returns, when you invest with Labrador Energy, you may be able to structure your investments to offset active or passive income. According to many sources, U.S. oil and gas drilling remains one of the best tax-advantaged income investments available. Visit Labrador Energy. You may be able to reduce your tax liability while investing in a sector that historically delivers sound returns. Learn more now at LabradorEnergy.com today. Offer for accredited investors only. Past performance is no indication of future results. Investing involves risk. Consult your legal, tax, and financial advisors and read the prospectus before making any investment decisions. Visit LabradorEnergy.com for the prospectus and more information.
So a couple years ago, I hit 40 years old, and man, did things change. I didn't have the same strength and vitality that I had before, and I didn't have what I wanted, and that was the ability to work out and have a blast doing it. So then the pounds started packing on. Well, thank goodness I found Chalk, C-H-O-Q, and they're helping real American men just like you maximize your masculinity by boosting your testosterone levels up to 20% over 90 days. Now, I've been taking the Chalk Vitality Stack for over a year now, and not only am I working out, I've now lost 50 pounds. So if you're ready to maximize your masculinity today, go to Chalk, C-H-O-Q.com, and use promo code Ben for a massive discount on any Chalk subscription for life. C-H-O-Q.com, code Ben, limited time offer. Subscription is cancelable at any time. Chalk.com. 